Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. At the risk of sounding like an old fogey, kids these days, and what I mean by that is young people today are facing challenges much more serious than at any time in history. It isn't so much that they are different, but that they are amplified and a lot of the structure that used to guide our kids has been lost. It's been replaced by 24-7 access to external inputs. Most of them, most of, the, most of our kids are navigating alone. And a lot of it, their parents don't even know about. And when they do, the adults don't have much more skill in addressing it than the kids. Now, again, not to be a fogey, um, some of the old structure really did need to be updated. But it seems like we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And it's impacting everyone's present and future. And when the implication is that everything is acceptable, is it any wonder our young people have unprecedented levels of anxiety and depression? Now, I know this may seem really off topic for a show about marriage, but you can't have healthy relationships if you aren't first relatively healthy yourself. So today I'm having a conversation with Dr. Leonard Sachs. He's a practicing physician and the author of many books, including Boys Adrift, The Five Factors Driving a Growing Epidemic of Unmotivated Boys and Underachieving Young Men. So, Dr. Sachs, Leonard, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about what is a very timely and incredibly important topic. Thanks for inviting me. So, your recent article, which is how I came across you, um, is titled, Does the Word Gentleman still mean anything today, here's why it should. And this article struck a chord with me because I see danger in writing off half of the population. So can you share your definition of a gentleman? Well, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's important to have a definition. Okay. Uh, I'm not suggesting that my definition is better than anyone else's, but uh, you know, the New York Times, uh, Jennifer Finney Boylan, regular columnist, had a uh, column on what enlightened parenting means. Mm -hmm. And she asserted, and I'm quoting here, that enlightened parenting means setting your child free to discover for themselves their own right and wrong. And oh, if Lord. in doing so your child becomes a stranger to you, then so be it. Uh, that's a very close paraphrase of her article. Uh, and it's profoundly wrong. What is childhood for? I mean, quite literally. What, what is the point? A four-year-old a four horse is a mature adult. The Kentucky Derby is raced with three-year-olds. Uh, a four-year-old child has barely begun, and the horse is a bigger animal than a human. Mm -hmm. So it can't just be about biological maturity. Uh, humans, our children are adolescents for more years than most animals live. Mm -hmm. So what, what's the point? Why? 
uh, well, we don't have to guess. We have uh, scholars like Dr. Dr. Melvin Connor at Emory who have devoted their careers to studying this question and comparing development in humans with development in other species. Mm-hmm. And what the scholars conclude is that development takes so long in our species because it takes many years for parents to teach kids what the kids need to know. Uh, the New York Times recommendation that you set your kid loose to discover for themselves their own right and wrong is not only uh, a dereliction of duty, it is profoundly unhuman. It's not what we're geared to do as humans, not what's in our, in our DNA. If you set a, a kid loose and you, in a culture that says, hey, whatever floats your boat, if it feels good, do it, uh, well, what if what floats your boat is shooting fourth graders with an assault rifle? Uh, I think it's important to recognize that the challenge of what does a culture do with its young men mm-hmm. is the first culture that any successful culture has to face. Uh, young men without guidance are prone to violence across the world in every culture. And we have good data on this. Mm -hmm. Men are many times more likely to engage in violence and to kill compared to women. We're talking factor of 10 difference. Uh, And that's true not only in humans, it's true in chimpanzees. Because sometimes people will say, well, it's just socially constructed just because of the movies we have. Well, chimpanzees don't watch Spider-Man. And yet the male-female difference in violence among chimpanzees is actually bigger than it is uh, among uh, humans. We have scholars like Richard Wrangham who have spent many years observing chimpanzees in the wild. We have good data on this. It's hardwired, this propensity mm-hmm. to violence. And that means that you, as a parent, you must have a clear goal in your mind of what kind of man you want your son to become. And we can use the term gentleman. Right. What does it mean to be a gentleman? What does it mean to be a good man? Different cultures have defined it differently. There is not a universal definition. In samurai Japan, um, a successful man was expected to be a master of tea service, to know how to prepare and serve tea. Mm -hmm. In modern American culture, we don't think of that as a defining feature of a good man. Each culture defines it differently. But you asked me what is my definition. The definition Mm -hmm. that I offer when I meet with boys is that a good man uses his strength in the service of others. He stands up for the weakling. He stands up for the person who is being victimized. Um, He does not abuse women. He does not look at pornography. Um, And then I ask the boys, what do you think of that? And we get a very lively conversation going because they they may disagree very strongly with some of the points that I've just made, especially the pornography point. Oh, yeah. Uh, But it's an important conversation, and parents need to have this conversation with their sons, and I think we as a culture need to have that conversation. I think we're doing a terrible job at at this. uh, I have visited more than 460 schools, 460 schools over 21 years. And I can tell you that at many schools today, uh, teachers are officially prohibited mm-hmm. from using the term boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. 
because they were required to attend a seminar on diversity, equity, and inclusion where they were told that the very phrase, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, those phrases are uh, not inclusive because some kids are Mm -hmm. non-binary. So not only are we not teaching boys what it means to be men, uh, we're actively undermining their attempt to figure it out. Uh, And again, the scholars, the anthropologists tell us that in every enduring culture, boys look to men for guidance about what does it mean to be a man. But increasingly in the United States, we don't have boys looking to men. We have men who want to be boys. And I hear about fathers who spend their free time playing video games with their (laughs) 11-year-old. And their 11-year-old is teaching the father how to play Call of Duty or Grand Theft Auto. That's not what this boy needs. The father has no clue what his son needs to become a man. So that's that's interesting that you talk about this because um, one of the things that drives me crazy when I work, you know, when I'm out in social media and doing things is, is there is also a societal, and I don't know whether this is, you know, this is, you know, the cart before the horse and the, the chicken and the egg. I'm not quite sure what this, where this started, but this infantilization of men, you know, this idea that, you know, call, you know, men are, men are nothing but big children. And, and I, and in my early days of marriage, I fell into that. People would ask me, you know, when my husband and I were going to have children, and I would jokingly say, you mean another one? And it was like my, my husband has never, ever behaved like a child with me. I mean, never. So, I mean, it was, I, I've come to the conclusion that this, that personally, that's just insulting. Um, but, I, but I think that there's also some, some issues around that. I mean, you know, you watch television. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, but, but you know, back, back when I was growing up, I'm dating myself here. Even I would watch reruns of Leave it to Beaver and Father Knows Best. And then there'd be, you know, mm-hmm. Michael Brady and even forget his, forget the person, but the Cosby show, where you saw these Ooh. capable Don't mention the Cosby show, but these... you're, you're touching on something right. very important. So the subtitle of my book, Boys Adrift, is the five factors driving mm-hmm. the growing epidemic of unmotivated boys and underachieving young men. And you just uh, touched on factor five. The fifth factor, the final factor, is what I call the revenge of the forsaken gods which is a a fancy phrase that I explained in the book that an anthropologist suggested to me. But but what it means is the decline and collapse in the social construction of masculinity. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned some old TV shows. Uh, We actually have scholars who've studied this. You go back Mm -hmm. and look at the most popular TV shows from the 1960s or 70s or 80s, shows like The Andy Griffith Show Mm -hmm. or Happy Days or Family Ties from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, respectively. Mm -hmm. And you find that the fathers in those shows were consistently knowledgeable, competent, thoughtful, productive, caring, and kind. Mm -hmm. But you fast forward to today. So in writing my book, The Collapse of Parenting, I looked through the 150 most popular TV shows in the United States right now to see how many of them consistently or at least occasionally depict a father as competent, knowledgeable, reliable, responsible. Out of 150 shows, I found one, Blue Blood, starring Tom Selleck, Mm -hmm. that at least occasionally depicts a father as competent, Mm 
that's now a unique outlier. What's now much more common in American entertainment are shows like Modern Family, mm-hmm. where the straight dad is always an idiot whose mm-hmm. bumbling antics are the butt of the joke. We're expected to laugh at him. Mm-hmm. Or The Simpsons, you know, Homer right. Simpson is an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a problem uh, because boys are not born knowing what it means to be a gentleman. They have to be taught, and we no longer teach them. And so they look to the culture. And what they find there is not the Andy Griffith show or Fathers Knows Best. What they find there is Modern Family and The Simpsons. And that's a problem because, again, nothing about this is hardwired. Kids have to be taught, and we're not teaching them. We're immersing them in a culture. Uh, So... Well, mention television, but you look at the most popular YouTube videos. Oh, yeah. You look at the most popular uh, songs. You know, in July 1964, the Beatles took five of the top five spots on the Billboard Top 100. And experts in the music industry said that will never happen again. The market is too fragmented. Uh, no one will ever dominate uh, popular culture the way the Beatles did in July 1964. Bzz, wrong. Yeah. Last September, Drake, his album Certified Loverboy, not only took five of the top five, it took nine of the top ten, which the Beatles never did. Uh, Drake is more popular by any objective standard than the Beatles ever were. He's had more top ten hits than the Beatles did. Uh, He's uh, 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 on many objective parameters, which I write about. He's he's bigger than the Beatles, and yet most parents don't even know his name. Right, and they also don't know what he's saying. And they don't know what he's talking about. My ball is bigger than yours. I'm undoubtedly the hottest. That's just me being modest. He is the opposite of a gentleman, and that's his whole claim to fame. He uses the F word, the N word. And this is what boys are immersed in. If you do, as the New York Times advise, and set your child free (laughs) to discover for themselves their own right and wrong, Right. And they live in the United with, States, with and they have internet any, access. Without what, any guidelines. What, what, yeah, what they're going to find is Drake and Bruno Mars, mm-hmm. a culture of mainstream pornography and obscenity. And how are they to know? Well, that's, okay. that's not cool. So I just well, last month no I led cool. a workshop for school superintendents from across West Virginia on right. building a culture of respect. Well, and we talked about the, the challenge. But it's also the girls. I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, I remember being, I remember being at, a, at a spin class, and one of the songs that they played was talking about bitches and whores. Yep. Hoes. And I went to them. I said, please don't play that song. I was like, <laughs> I was like no, I'm sorry. That is not okay. <laughs> you know? uh, well, the... the, the uh the instructor, in, in their defense, could say, look, this is the number one song in the United States. And, uh, and WAP, two years ago, WAP was the right. number one video in the United States. And WAP stands for wet-ass pussy. Uh, and it, it, the song is all about uh, uh, right. bitches and whores. Uh, and and though, that's how the women describe themselves. And it was I the thought. number one video. Uh, so, and that is now characteristic of, of many aspects of American culture. Right. So if you have a child or teenager, you need to be on your guard that uh, they are not listening to this kind of stuff because this stuff is really toxic. Well, and, and again, what we know is that human brains don't fully develop until early 20s. And so it's like, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't 
well, maybe some people would, you wouldn't feed your kid a diet of so you have nothing but soda and candy and expect them to be healthy, but we're feeding them this diet, you know, it's, it, it's pervasive. You can't, you know, it's like, how do you get away from it? Um, and then we wonder why our kids are in such trouble. But I just need to take a moment yeah. and remind the listeners that this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. And I'm having an important conversation about what our boys and young men are learning in today's world and how it will impact intimate relationships in the future with physician and author Dr. Leonard Sachs. And the truth is, we all are products of our environment and experience. Some of it is positive, some not so much. And almost all of it is learned, which means the good news is it can be unlearned. But this is really difficult to do by yourself and impossible without a high level of compassion. So if you're experiencing difficulties in your relationship, please know you're not alone. Most likely, you do not have the tools necessary to make lasting, healthy change, and that's where I come in. Now, if you really are interested in having a better relationship, I invite you to get in touch and schedule a free, no-obligation, five-star relationship discovery session. You can reach me by phone at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. Or you can send me an email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S coaching and is in Nancy C is in Charlie.com. And now I want to get back to this really important um, conversation with Dr. Sachs. So how do you and how can society separate the positives of masculinity from the harm of what is generally considered toxic masculinity? Well, that's where your first question about what does it mean to be a gentleman uh, is relevant. So I visited a boys' school where um, – uh, many of the boys went to uh, on a trip uh, to the highlands of the Dominican Republic, not the beaches mm-hmm. where people go for vacations, but up right. into the hills to work with the peasants. And they spend five weeks um, doing a project, in one case building a, uh, a bridge so that the uh, people there can get their goods to market in the rainy season, uh, in another uh, building a a small uh, clinic so that when the uh, medical uh, missionaries come to do their free medical work, they have a place to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- so these boys are working in the heat. They're living in the peasants' home. So they're living, they're sleeping on a dirt floor, and there are bugs, uh, <laughs> uh, and it's hot, and there's no air conditioning, and I would pay a lot of money not to go. It's right. awful. <laughs> But some of these boys were almost in tears as they shared their experience because it was so meaningful, meaningful mm-hmm. to them because they're learning through their sweat mm-hmm. what it means to be a man. It means to use your strength in the service of others. And the school has very mindfully uh, engaged the boys in this activity to teach that lesson. And there's lots of ways to do that. You don't have mm-hmm. to go to the Dominican Republic. You can, right. you can do that in your own city. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and incidentally, it needs to be all boys led by a man. If it's boys and girls together, teenage boys and girls, it turns into a, uh, a social event. And, 
and it's all about whether or not Emily likes Justin. It, it, it's distracting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a team of boys led by men, uh, then you get that feeling of a tribe, uh, which, again, can be really toxic if it's not right. done well. Right. But if you have leadership who say, hey, we're going to use this thing that's clearly hardwired, this notion of a tribe. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. So I visited a boys' school in Toronto called Upper Canada College. It's not a college. It's a K-12 right. boys' school. Mm-hmm. Um, and this retired electrician, he's in his 70s, mid late 70s, he had time on his hands, so he went to the school and said, hey, uh, you know, I live around the corner. I'd be glad to volunteer my services, uh, maybe teach the boys something about uh, electrical wiring. And they said, well, we don't really do much in the way of electrical wiring. We do have a robotics club. Uh, maybe you could help with that. So he got electrician knows nothing about robotics, but right. mm-hmm. he's sitting in on that class, and the instructor says, okay, I'm going to step out for a while. I want you to get to know our new uh, assistant here, retired electrician. And he come back 10 minutes later, and he said the boys were arranged in a semicircle around this old guy mm-hmm. who's telling them about working around high voltage. He says, you're working around high voltage, you never touch anything with the palm of your hand. Because if it's live, it'll grab you. Your hand will seize and you won't be able to let go. And that's how his buddy had died 50 mm-hmm. years ago, got electrocuted. Yeah. And the robotics instructor told me the boys were transfixed. Yeah, but you could they hear were drop. absolutely transfixed. And the instructor said, I saw a tribe being, mm-hmm. form, being formed. Boys are ready to listen to older men. And so there's something about the grandfather's age, not the father's age, but the grandfather's age. I've got so many stories like this mm-hmm. of men in their 60s and 70s and 80s who can exert this magical and that's the only word, this magical influence on these teenage boys, they're hardwired to connect to these older men. It can't just be about father to son. No. When I'm talking about a tribe, I'm talking about something bigger and deeper than that. And, of course, we all know how tribes can be vectors of violence and cruelty. Right. But they can also, with good leadership, you can help this boy to become a good man. And then we need that, and we do not have it. Well, and it's, you know, and, and again, going back to that article you were quoting about, you know, just letting your chil- children run wild and they'll figure it out. It's like, um, yeah, but what is it they're going to be figuring out? Because, because again, I, we all crave connection. And, and this is one of the things that I've learned over, over my career is, is how we connect. Are we connecting in healthy ways? Are we inviting um, all of our children, our boys, our girls, anybody who isn't necessarily seeing themselves on, on a binary, but are we including people and, you know, um, Abraham Lincoln, one of my all-time heroes, you know, are we appealing to the angel, to their better angels? And, you know, and, it, and it's kind of like anybody who's read the book, Lord of the Flies, what happens when you know, these kids are left to their own devices it's like, yeah, we don't want, I mean, but, but it's almost like we have Lord of the Flies on a, on a massive scale. So you actually ended your piece 
saying most boys want to be good men. And, and I agree, and I also believe most men want to be good men. So how can we individually and, and as a society make this happen? How do, how do we rein it in? Well, that's, of course, what the second half of my book, Boys Adrift, is about. I share some groups that I have uh, learned from and, and worked with, groups like Boys to Men, which is a mentoring group in Southern California that I think really gets this, that pairs boys with an older man. Mm-hmm. And the man has been trained, and they do these activities together um, on Palomar Mountain uh, in, in uh, Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and churches can do this, create uh, – the, the youth group in this country is, is in most cases unhelpful. At many churches I've visited, it's a pizza party for ninth graders. That's not what they need. Mm-hmm. But there are other churches where boys are going with men on a canoe trip of several days, um, and each and boy assigned to a different man for a few hours in a canoe – that's a great opportunity to create those bonds across generations. We need to create, we need to rebuild bonds across generations. Boys with men, girls with women. It can't just be about father to son. That doesn't work. No culture does that. Cultures that last have strong bonds across generations. They have a community of men for boys and a community of women for girls. We used to do that, incidentally, and this is not nostalgia. Uh, We've got a whole team of scholars uh, 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 led by Robert Putnam at Harvard who spent 30 years documenting that 50 years ago, 60 years ago in this country, you could, you could go to any neighborhood in the United States and you'd find a sewing circle, mm-hmm. uh, a group of women and girls organized not by kin relation but by geographic proximity, meaning that they just happen to live on the same block. Mm-hmm. And they're meeting on a regular basis to do activities together, uh, girls, young women, and older women together, uh, not only uh, formal but informal uh, activities. You know, he's got photographs from 50, 60 years ago uh, of men in, in Shaker Heights, Ohio, where I grew up, uh, working under the hood of a car. Who are those men? They're older men, younger men, and boys. You go drive around a neighborhood today, and you might see two old geezers working under the hood of their 65 Corvette, but the boys are not with them. No, the boys are indoors playing, video, playing games. video games. The bonds across generations have been broken. This is what the scholars, Robert Putnam and others, have found. We used to have a nation with rich and deep connection, boys with men, girls with women. We don't have that anymore. The bonds across generations have been broken, but we have to recreate that. Uh, not saying go back to the 1950s, that was, that, right. but, but an enduring culture has to offer a community of men for boys and a community of women for girls. And there are ways we can do that in the 21st century. And that's the focus, really, of my book, Boys Adrift and Girls on the Edge. Well, I mean, and it's really interesting because I would argue that we are at least on the second, if not the third, generation of people who have been kind of set adrift, Um, you know, and there's multiple reasons. There's multiple, multiple reasons for this, but it's, it, it's going to be a challenge for if, if I wasn't taught to be a good man or a positive role model, male or female, then how do I teach the next 
generation yeah. coming up. No, and I think uh, you know, we're, you, we're uh, hitting that head on, absolutely. Last month I did a full-day workshop for district, school district uh, superintendents across West Virginia on building a culture of respect in the school. Mm-hmm. And I shared strategies to help inspire boys to want to be good men. And one of those strategies is advisories with mm-hmm. a group of teenage boys led by a good man. And the superintendents like that, but one of them said, we can't find any good men to lead the advisories. We find a man who seems like he should be qualified based on his resume, Mm -hmm. but if you bring him in and talk to him, all he wants to do is talk about how he's great with teenage boys because he loves to talk about his porn collection and his video games. And he thinks that qualifies him to lead teenage boys. The fact that he's guild master in in World of Warcraft and he's got 10,000 porn videos on his phone. Um, That's the problem, is that we now have the, the young men don't know how to be men. And so how can they teach the next generation? Right. And, it's, and again, this is a societal structural thing. I mean, and my daughter is a teacher for another few weeks um, because, because she's leaving the profession because of the challenge of you know, lack of respect on, from, the, from the kids, from the parents, even from some administrators won't back. You know, I have lots of friends who are teachers. And, and the administration won't back them when they try to, you know, set a kid on. I mean, and we're asking our schools to do things that they don't have the resources or the capacity to do. But that seems to, you know, we, we either want it to be our schools or if you happen to be part of a faith community, because not everybody is um, and not everybody wants to be, which is fine. But, but, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult. And, and, and the one thing that I want people to understand, this takes time. <laughs> you know, it's not a one-off. You can't have one, one conversation with your kid. And, you know, and, and they also were learning by example, which is partially why I wanted to have you as a guest on the show, because our kids are learning what healthy relationships or unhealthy relationships, depending on the case, from, from what you and your partner are doing both as a couple and as parents. And I think, you know, I, I try not to get too despairing, but, you know, this, the last couple of weeks have been, have been pretty tough to, to stay any kind of positive. Um, so just fast, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on what I just said. Well, certainly, parents, uh, I close my book, The Collapse of Parenting, by saying that you cannot teach a virtue which you yourself do not possess. If you want to teach your son to be uh, generous and honest, then you have to be generous and honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was talking to uh, uh, middle school kids at a private school in Towson, Maryland, and I said we had... Uh, uh, met with the kids in the morning. I was going to speak to the parents in the evening. And I said to the kids, hey, this evening I'm going to meet with your parents and I'm going to tell them no more than 30 minutes a day on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to advise them to install an app on your device that will lock you out of social media after 30 minutes. Uh, any questions? And a boy, a uh, seventh grade boy, raised his hand. And he said, can you tell me how to install that app on my mom's phone? Wow. And he then proceeded to tell the entire school how he comes home and he's trying to talk to his mom about his day 
and she's looking at her phone. She's scrolling through her Instagram feed uh-huh. and giving him distracted one-word answers that don't even make any sense. And it just yeah. broke my heart that he told the whole school yeah. that his mom would rather look at her phone than listen to her son. How can she do the work of a parent? I don't think she can. No. And, you know, and, and again, you know, we're all swimming this in this, and it's so easy to get distracted by this. And it's much, I mean, and I'm going to tell you, I've raised two, two children to adulthood, and some days I wasn't quite sure that all of us were going to make it. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, because it does take time, and it does take patience, and it does take learning, and it does take support. And it does take a village. It takes a tribe. And we have so segmented ourselves that, it, you know, to me, it's, it's particularly scary. And I could talk to you about this um, for hours, I'm sure. Um, but unfortunately, my producer is telling me to wrap this up. So can you please share where people can get your books, learn more about this? Because I do know that our kids are starving for this, and, and I believe that, that the adults are too. We're, we're, we're often just as adrift. Well, I would ask people to go to my website, which is leonardsax.com, L-E-O-N-A-R-D-S-A-X.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. I send out a newsletter maybe once a month. Uh, and that's the only time you'll hear from me. <laughs> um, um, and... Uh, uh, that way you can also get the, the essays and the articles, etc. And, of course, the books are available anywhere. Books are sold, Boys Adrift, Girls on the Edge, Why Gender Matters, and The Collapse of Parenting. Okay. So thank you so much. And I want people to know that it's really easy and often simplistic to blame others for their behavior. Yes, they are responsible, but no one can do what they don't know. And it's why one of my favorite quotes is Maya Angelou's, do the best you can until you know better, then when you know better, do better. And learning to be better and helping those you love learn to do better is how you will have the supportive, loving relationships that you desire. And so one of the things that I hope you continue to do as part of your learning is to continue to listen to this show And until next week, stay loving.